I invite your attention to 2 Peter chapter 1 for uh, our message this morning. Second Peter chapter 1, just take a second or two just, just to glance over real quickly the first 11 verses. And as you do that, you will see a, a, a number of key words or key phrases that, are, that tend to jump out. We're going to see a precious faith. We're going to see the word knowledge, and actually that's five times there in these first 11 verses. We're also going to see the phrase partakers of the divine nature. Two times we see the word diligence. Get down to verse 5, we see the phrase, add to your faith. We see, make your calling and election sure. Verse 10, we see, never fall. And verse 11, everlasting kingdom. Let's read the first 11 verses, 2 Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us to the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according that his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside all this, give diligence, give, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make that you, should, you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence, make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's a lot in there. We're going to try to dig away at some of this here this morning. Uh, first and second Peter are letters that were written to the Christian believers in Asia Minor. And the first chapter here in, in second Peter deals with the, the blessings of salvation and also a reminder that God's word is a sure guide by which Christians are to order their lives by day by day. And when we carefully follow the directions that are given here in the first number of verses, we see a promise in verse 10. And that is a promise that we can stand upon. And that promise is that if we do these things, we shall never fall. And if you look at these first 11 verses, there's a lot of different directions you can go. On a message here, the title on the top of my Bible says, Making One's Calling and Election Sure, which I plan to touch on. But the message title this morning is Fall Protection, taken from chapter, from verse 10. If we do these things, we shall never fall. So fall protection is a title. And what we have is a, a short list of disciplined efforts that need to be evident in our lives if we want to claim that promise we see there in verse 10. 
Paul, Peter gives clear direction here. You need to do this so we can claim that promise. John MacArthur explains it this way. I quote, The Christian life is not lived to the honor of God without effort. Even though God has poured his divine power into the believer, the Christian is required to make every disciplined effort alongside what God has done. So we look at that and we see, yes, God has blessed us in many ways, but we have a responsibility. We need to do our part. God completed his part. Now we're required to do ours so we can claim that promise of never falling. And I like to look at it similar to a, a scene on a construction work site. At, at some job sites, not all, construction workers are required to wear fall protection if they're working at a height that's six feet or above. Um, there was a job that we were planning to put up, we did, we put a pool building up, and we were told that all the workers at this job site, if, you're, if, if the worker is six feet or above, they need to wear fall protection. And they, they clarified that. Step ladders are not going to work. If, you're, if the man is at six feet and above, they need to be in a man lift. It was uh, safety first and no exceptions. This tangled mess is a fall protection harness. Uh, Stuart, you want to come up here? Now, this is for a man. I had put this on. Stuart, stand over here on this side. I had put this on. It's even too big for me, so let's not... Let's not laugh at Stuart, but this is what some job sites, this is what they need to wear. Okay, put your arm through there. Good job. Your arms are here. Okay. This here is going to get, uh, I never knew this. And goes through like that. Probably. Okay. And yeah, these straps, you could tighten them up. But uh, come over here a little bit. Step over here. Buddy, this thing's big. Here, let me go back a little bit. You need to step up in with them in here. Yep, step up in through here. I'm sorry. I know that's not right. Take it off. <laughs> okay, I do know this. This one here comes around, and this this loop goes through here. And that gets fast there. And this loop goes through here. No, not that one. This one. And that's a belt loop that goes in there like that. And that gets fast. And like I said, the loops aren't big enough. And. Okay, you can tell my ignorance in that thing. That's not my point. I want to show you something about this here, this work harness here. The, the, the main point about this harness is after he is all strapped in and ready to go. Now turn around. Here's what I want to show these folks. Here is the main point of this harness, this hook on the back. So if, when Stewart's at the job site, he wears this harness. This harness will do absolutely no good unless he is hooked to a safety line. And that's what this line here is for. So when Stuart, let's say he's up on the roof, putting roof on, and he starts to slip and fall, the, the, the string becomes tight and he's fine. If Stuart would decide to put this harness on, even though way too big, and decide, I'm not going to worry about putting attaching to the safety rope, this, this harness would be completely worthless. Does it make any sense, Stuart? <laughs> it's kind of confusing. And I know, it does slow you down when you're on the, work, on the job site. We've experienced that many times. Thank you. Oh, I didn't look scared. <laughs> See that? All right, you can go back to your seat. Thank you, Stuart. If I'm not mistaken, our workers had to wear them at that job site, and uh, no, we do not wear them a whole lot. And like I said, they do tend to slow you down. But the large loop in the back, 
is what you hook the safety rope to, and that's where it's at. You can wear the harness, and you decide I'm not going to wear the, I'm not going to attach it to anything. It will do you no good. And in these verses here, Peter's writing to the believers. He's giving clear directions about, if I can say so, the harness we need to put on. So point number one, we see there's three points. Point number one is given unto us, and we take it from the first couple of verses. Simon Peter, a servant, he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. So yes, he tells them who he is, but claims no superior position. Instead, he identifies himself, as we looked at in our Sunday school lesson this morning, as a bond servant of Jesus Christ. And we, the word that came out this morning was humility. And sometimes with a young girl, it would have been slave in our Sunday school lesson. But here Peter says, yes, I could be an apostle, I am, but also a servant of Jesus Christ. He is writing to those who have obtained, is the word he uses, um, to them that have obtained like precious faith. Not something they attained by planned effort by planned action or effort, but something they received. This is something that the Christian has been given by lot or by divine will. Here we see something we have received, and soon we're going to see something that we have been, has been given unto us. But what we want to take note of is that when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, when we become a child of God, just note the blessings that we are given. As a Christian, we did not earn our salvation by our own efforts. In the same way here in, uh, with the... The believers that in the, uh, Peter was writing to. It's not something that we earn, but rather receive by divine will through the righteousness of Christ. Okay, obtain what? Like precious faith. So Peter's writing to those, whether Jew or Gentiles, they held a faith like Peter held, like precious faith. But also, take note, he's saying here that our faith is precious. You know, we all have, have faith, that we view it as a precious. Hebrews tells us, if you don't have faith, we cannot please God. Faith is required for salvation. Faith is of great worth and should be cherished. Our eternal destiny, as well as our present happiness, hinges upon our faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied. This means that the grace and peace of God are to be evident and abundant in our lives. It's just what's coming forth from us. How is it possible? It says, through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I think this word knowledge is a, a key word in this section of verses. Like I said, it's mentioned five times. This morning I was reading uh, Proverbs chapter 2, and that talks a lot about knowledge and wisdom. If you have time, read that sometime. But knowledge is recognition or could be defined as full discernment. So think about it this way. Grace comes to us through understanding. And then we do that understanding. We grow in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And so we obtain more grace. Hence, we see the importance of earnest thought and also a diligent study of the scriptures. Are we digging into the word of God? Are we learning to understand and know who God is? Those who have learned to know God and his son have what? Eternal life. And this knowledge comes from one that has fellowship with Christ. John 17, 3 says, And this is eternal life, that ye might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. So this morning we're here as Christians, I trust, do we know Jesus Christ? Do we have a knowledge and understanding of who he is? When we go and visit someone, we learn more about them. We learn what they are like. And visiting and spending time with people helps us grow in, in the knowledge of who they are. 
Young couples, they spend time together. We call that dating. It's a time of learning to know and to understand each other. And so it is with our relationship with Jesus Christ. As we spend time in his word and in communication with him, what happens? We grow in our knowledge of him. So here we have grace and peace be multiplied unto you through how? Through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ as we learn and get to know him more and more. Howard Martin and J. Eric Brubaker put it this way. Knowledge is nothing more than true Christian faith. And I had to stop and pause and, and ponder that one for a while. So they're saying, grace and peace be multiplied to you through Christian faith. He said, knowledge is nothing more than true Christian faith. One with true Christian faith will have the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Verse 3, according to divine power has given unto us. Here we have given unto us. Divine power has given unto us. And what have we been given? Earlier I said, when we become a child of God, we are given a lot. Here we receive, earlier we received a like precious faith. Here we are given. And this is beautiful. It says, all things that pertain unto life and godliness, that's what we have been given. So I conclude, the Christian has been given all they need to live the Christian life. We have been given what we need to live a victorious Christian life. Fall protection to live in victory has been handled to us the same way that harness has been handled, handed to a construction worker. One time, actually it's the same jobs that I've talked about when I went there for a meeting. I got there and walked through the gate and the first place they took me was back in the building. By the way, it's at the Conowingo Dam down there along Route 1 in Maryland. And they took me right to the safety area. And they said, here, here's some goggles you need to wear, and here's a brand new pair of goggles. Okay, and here's a hard hat you need to wear. Yep, if you want to walk around here, this is what you need to wear. They were handed it to me, and I had to put them on. Safety first. But God has provided through his divine power and given everything that contributes to or that feathers a godly life. So I went to that site. I didn't have a hard hat or goggles, but I was given them. We become a child of God. We need help. God provides it for us. He gives it to us. Here you are. Here's what you need. Put this on and you are safe to go. Are we going to put on what God has given us in order to please our almighty supervisor? According to divine power given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us. Okay, it gets better. The Christians have been called by God's own glory and virtue, by divine perfections put forth in our salvation. So we have been given, received uh, salvation, received precious faith. We have been given knowledge and things that pertain to uh, life and godliness. We have been called, verse 4, as more, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Here we have uh, promises that we can stand upon, both that are great and precious. The, the Christian has a promise of forgiveness of sins. We have the promise of the atoning work of Christ. We know the fact that Christ resurrected. We have that promise as well. And we also have the hope of eternal life, just to name a few. And these promises are given to the born-again believer. And blessings continue there in verse 4. Now we become partakers or companions of, uh, and partners of the divine nature. See, God is providing every provision for our spiritual growth and development. He said, here it is. We, I'm giving this to you. And to be a partaker of divine nature means to be a participant in the life of God. And that's why I say so many times, we are a blessed people. And here Peter is telling us, look at what God has given you. 
God has given you so much. This is why we say God is good all the time. Look what he has done for us. You might be partakers of divine nature. Imagine what God has given and wants us to have. He is providing his, well, his children with the proper equipment. So when we get down to chapter, verse 10, we see that we will never fall. And we see the end of verse 4, the Christian is given a life, the Christian life is a flight to safety, an escape from the corruption of this world, having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. Corruption is the uh, ruin, destruction, and dissolution. And what happened, what's happening is the world is being physically and spiritually destroyed because of the lusts of men. But God has provided an escape route from such evil, a flight to safety, if you will, like the line hooked to the safety harness, and we are pulled into a safe place. Then he says, if that's not enough, verses 1 through 4, he says, and besides all this, so let's take 1 through 4 and put that in our mind in one compartment, if you will. Now, verse 5, besides all this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. So we receive the, uh, the precious faith. And with all, uh, even though we have been given all things that pertain to life and godliness and the exceeding great and precious promises, nonetheless, great spiritual effort is required on our part. Giving all diligence, uh, eagerness, earnestness, and zeal in matters of religion. Energy and effort is, will need to be applied in achieving one's goals. Add to your faith. So we can look at that. We know how to add. And we can look at that as uh, you begin with faith and then you add these seven more that are listed here. However, the idea is, is not that it's added to our faith, but rather that they are supplied through one's faith. When you have faith, that is what will come out. The, the things that we're going to look at here excuse me, need to be evident in the life of one who has faith in Jesus Christ. So every quality, quality is attained, attained as means of producing the next. So you have one, and we continue to grow in that. Look at it this way, that faith is the basis of the Christian life. So let's just say this is your Christian life, and we're going to start, we're going to start with faith. And we're going to go on from there. Faith is the basis that we're all expected to possess, but out of this must grow other valuable qualities. Faith is a foundation Followed by, and besides all this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. So we're going to add to that. We have faith. We're going to continue to produce more. Virtue, moral excellence, or conforming to a standard of right. Moral courage, what stands against all the opposition of the world. What's happening? The Christian needs to pursue excellent behavior, both in the church and in the world. We start with the foundation, and we continue to build thereupon. The second one is knowledge. We have faith, virtue, then we're going to go, we're going to, go to knowledge, wisdom, discernment, and discretion. So are, are we pursuing this? Besides this, give all diligence. Are we pursuing some of these other virtues that we see here? Knowledge. We are to seek after a life that displays a true knowledge of God. It goes back to the knowledge that we've seen up there in verse 2. The knowledge of His will that we discern good from evil. But this is, we start with one and we continue to build thereupon. Next we come, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance. 
What is temperance? Self-control, restraint, exercise over one's impulses, emotions, and desires. Temperance means our sinful passions and desires must be put to death. Again, who are we? We are who we are because of Christ, not because of self. Our sinful desires must be put to, to death. Flesh must be crucified. If even lawful appetites and desires need to be held in proper check. So yes, we're given a lot, but we also have to do our part. Add to your faith. Temperance. Next we see add to temperance. Patience. Patience. Perseverance. To persist in an enterprise or undertaking in spite of opposition and discouragement. Patience has the ability to keep going and remain true when times get tough. So, yes, we, we can start with the bottom one. We have the faith. But it, uh, what we're adding to this needs to be evident in the life of a Christian believer. We can say we have faith. I trust we all do. But the, the rest of these things that we're adding to it should actually be in the life of, a, of the believer as well. And do patience godliness. What is godliness? A respect for God's will and the moral way of, of life which comes from a proper attitude towards him. Is what, we're at, what we are adding here is this defining who you are. Godliness is an attitude that does what is well-pleasing to the Lord. Here we see some obedience things coming at, out. Add to verse 7, add to, add to godliness, brotherly kindness. A family affection between believers who are brothers and sisters in Christ. It's this coming forth from our hearts. <clears throat> there needs to be a general kindness between those who share this common, like, precious faith, as we've seen back uh, in verse 1. Christian, Christians constitute a brotherhood in the spirit. And we are to regard fellow disciples as children of the same father. So how can we say we are better than the other if we have the same father? This is a common thread of love, unity, and concern one for another. It's a spiritual attribute that needs to be clearly evident. It's this coming forth from your life and from mine. And then we see an add to uh, brotherly kindness and charity. Charity, while listed last, definitely not the least of, of the list, speaks of a goodwill and kindness towards all. It's a love that's more extensive than brotherly kindness. It's a universal love for mankind, even those who may hate and persecute us. And Jesus taught that love is going to be the guiding principle for the Christian. John 13, 35 by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. So we can say we started with faith and ended with love, but they all need to be evident in each one of our lives. We need to be able to put forth, as we go through our daily lives, wherever we may be, this should be evident in each one of our lives. Seven spiritual attributes of Christian character qualities that we need to diligently pursue. Also, clearly seen grown out of our faith. Virtues that are evident as being a partaker of the divine nature. So what does he say? That brings us down to verse 8. For if these things be in you, now he takes the faith and the seven that he listed there and calls them these things. If these things be in you, so we started with faith as a foundation, expounded to, from that point 
to these things, but there's another step. You could be sitting here this morning, and I could be standing here saying, yep, uh, I think I got this. These are in me. But he doesn't stop there. If these things be in you and abound, not only evident in your life, but ever-increasing qualities, abound, an uncalculating, an unweary spirit in the practice of Christian graces. This needs to be coming forth from us, flowing out of us each and every day. These listed qualities are growing, are within and growing daily, and as a result, we are kept from becoming ineffective Christians. For if these things be in you and abound, continue to grow, they make that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not going to become ineffective if we have these within and growing and continuing to abound. Applying these things and what's going to be the outcome will be useful, a useful and productive worker in the Lord's kingdom. It'd be nice if it could all be positive. But he says, it, uh, the little bit of negative in verse 8, if, if they're not, if, it, if these things here are neglected, what's going to happen to the, to the believer? They're going to become barren and unfruitful. And barren would, have the, the, would, would mean useless or unproductive. And unfruitful could be a farming word referring to crops, but it means basically the same as barren, useless and unproductive. You kind of picture like a fruit tree in the desert. It's not going to bring forth fruit because there's no moisture there. So the first point we looked at what God has given and has provided the Christian with everything necessary for spiritual effectiveness. But if these qualities are not evident and are not growing, our knowledge of Christ is deficient. And you get to verse 9, it appears that Peter had a point to drive home here. He says, but he that lacketh these things is blind, can't see afar off, and has forgotten his once purged from his old sin. To the one who is lacking these qualities, they are considered blind or we could say short-sighted. One who can see things directly in front of him, but cannot see things far away. Also known as spiritual blindness. And failure to add these virtues results in forgetfulness of what Christ has done in order to re- uh, achieve our redemption. So when we become Christians, Christ gives us this. But if we neglect to feed this and refuse to adopt to it and allow it to grow, we become ineffective. And as doing that, we're basically walking away from what Christ has done and spiritual blindness comes in and very quickly we forget what Christ has done for us. So that maybe that's why Peter put the verse 9 in there to help us see the, the effects of that. One who, who, who lacks these spiritual qualities has lost sight of the fact that he was cleansed from his old sin. So what does he do? Continues to walk around in a state of spiritual blindness. Martin Luther put it this way. Speak of the man in verse 9. He goes along and gropes like a blind man on the road in an unconscious, I'm quoting here, in an unconscious life and forgets that he was baptized and his sins were forgiven, is unthankful and is an idle, negligent man who takes nothing to heart, neither feels nor tastes such great grace and blessing. A mouthful. But basically that's how Martin Luther described the man in verse 9. Once a child of God, neglected, what he was supposed to allow to be abundantly producing. And look what happens. Spiritual blindness sets in, and he's groping around the road trying to find his way. 
Verse 10, wherefore the rather. Okay, verses 8 and 9 expose the danger of spiritual barrenness, not a route that we wish to travel. Wherefore the rather. Okay, beware the danger, verses 8 and 9. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence. Here we see the diligence the second time. Devote your attention and energy to what? To confirm your calling and election. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to confirm your calling and election Make your call election sure. If you do these things, you shall never fall. Give attention to confirm your calling election. What's my calling? Calling is divine summons which goes out from God. God has called us. We have been called. Can talk about those who are bidden. Election. Those have become true partakers of God's salvation. Back up in verse 4. We are divine partakers of his salvation. And now that's who we are in Christ. How can we confirm that? Just a second. He said we're supposed to make it sure. Now sure, in the literal sense, means a strong root or a secure anchor. Uh, like the strong rope attached to the harness. When the worker's up there on the roof, doesn't, he can do his job with confidence and not with the fear of falling. And sure also carries the meaning of reliable, dependable, or certain. So what am I seeing? We are to secure our calling and our election. So we're not simply going to go through our Christian experience giving no thought to the certainty of our foundation. Rather, we are going to continually verify and confirm our divine calling and election. How is this accomplished? The process of self-examination. 2 Corinthians 13.5 Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not? How that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates? Questions. The process of, of self-examination. Ask yourself some questions. Examine yourself. Am I in the faith? Am I trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ? The second thing we can do here is work it out, our, our salvation. That comes from Philippians 2.12. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, wherefore, my beloved, as you always have obeyed, not only in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So we can stop there for a minute and go back. Is your faith precious? So we come down to the bottom here. Do you, consider, do you consider your faith precious? Is that something that you take for granted? Well, born and, born and raised in a Christian home, that doesn't give you faith. It comes from your decision and to give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he moves in. Now he, self is out, so, and our self-desires are out, and he's ruling and reigning on our hearts. And from that, because of what Christ has done for us, this is what's going to happen. Once? No, daily. Because it's supposed to abound. Now we've got a fountain coming from our faith, and this is what's pouring out daily. When people see you, this is, the adjective, this is how they describe your character. Oh, that person there. It goes on and on and on. But we're not going to give up on that. We're going to continue to do that and continue to make our calling and the election sure. What we have is the fruit of the Christian faith is fruit of the Christian faith that is required for salvation. Is this is this you? So if I would give a construction worker the harness and he puts it on and then I say, oh, you're all good to go and leave and he says, you know what? I'm not going to attach the rope. Lean didn't know what he was talking about. Well, when he begins to fall, it's injury awaits. And back to this job site, there was a guy I hired just to stand there the entire time and to watch my guys make sure they're doing anything right. Make sure they're all... That's what he did all day long. 
that's besides the point. <clears throat> God is providing the equipment, and we need to apply it to our lives. And I repeat, abound, grow, give diligence to. And when we do that, the promise we are given is that we will never fall. Neglecting and ignoring God's safety equipment puts us back in verses 8 and 9. But if, if godly qualities are abounding, if self-examination is taking place, these activities will prevent a person from falling into spiritual uncertainty and uselessness. When we have this in our lives and abounding, we can be used of God in many ways. But he says in verse in verse 10, for if you do these things, and I believe we're given a choice. I like to picture it this way. God has laid the fall protection equipment there at the job site, at our lives, and then the question comes back to us. Are we going to take it up and strap it in and securely attach? And when we say yes and do these things, he said we will never fall. Proverbs 133, but whoso hearketh unto me shall dwell safely. And also say she'll be quiet from the fear of evil. Sometimes we find ourselves in, in a dangerous situation. Uh, men, like working close to the top of the step ladder or maybe on the top rung, and we know that if we start to fall, we can just reach out and grab something, then reposition the ladder and keep on going. And if you ever worked on a step ladder, it probably has happened. But that's a dangerous mindset, mindset on the spiritual side. Because most times, when we start to fall, there's nothing to stop us. But when we make our calling election sure, we will never fall. We will not find ourselves looking for something to grab because we're not going to fall, because we're secure in Christ, safely attached to his strong arm. So what is waiting at the end of the day for those who are securely fastened to God's safety harness? Verse 11, and this is beautiful. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Those who apply themselves to pursuing these things shall be, according to verse 11, ushered into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Then he put the word in there, abundantly, rich or wealthy, describing a lavish possession into the procession into the eternal kingdom. Now, we can't begin to describe what that's going to be like. In Revelation, John tried hard. We can get a picture, but I do believe, I know for sure, it's a place that we all want to be. So I challenge you this morning, take your faith, allow this stuff to be, come forth from it, and the promise in verse 10, you'll never fall. But the promise in verse 11, that heaven is awaiting. Heaven is prepared for those who are prepared. Heaven is for those who have made themselves ready. Heaven is for those whose sins are under the blood. And for those who are strapped into God's safety harness, attached to his secure rope, standing firm and ready to be taken to the streets of gold there in glory. And I go back to verse 10 in closing. If you do these things, you shall never fall. Let's pray. God, we come before you this morning. I just thank you again for who you are. Thank you, Lord, for what we have obtained, but also what you have given us and the protection you have provided for us. 
And Lord, I pray that our faith could be abounding in these virtues that are listed here. And I pray, Lord, that we can make our calling and election sure. And I thank you, Lord, that promise that when we do our part, you have provided the equipment for us and also you have provided the promise that we will never fall. And heaven is awaiting for those who are faithful. I pray for each and every soul here this morning, Lord, that we can just take our faith seriously, that we can view it as being precious, and we can cherish it. And Lord, that when we look at the list up front here, that our, our lives tomorrow and into the next months and years, that our lives could produce what we see here as you've called us to God. Help us to be intentional about our walk with you. Wiping away all default activities and just to be intentional and say, Lord, I want to go places with you. I don't want to become unfruitful and barren, but I want to be strong in you and being a productive worker in your kingdom. Give us mercy and grace and energy to press on. Help us to be zealous in our work for you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.